Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In the Gospel of Luke, the news of the forgiveness of sins is the knowledge that John the Baptist was born and commissioned to share with absolute urgency. It is the declaration of the King meant to be circulated as widely as possible for anyone willing to listen. The news of this forgiveness, contained within the teaching of Scripture, is a spectacular victory in the ears of those it reaches. Still, for those who follow the storyline of Scripture, it's also a warning and a call to accountability. In the Bible, forgiveness may be given free of charge, but always with a charge. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 76 to 77. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 453 of the Bible as Literature podcast. All this drama in the Gospel of Luke to force Zacharias to announce that the hurricane is coming, the tornado has formed out of the cloud. The storm is on the horizon. Why am I using these natural disaster metaphors, these act of God metaphors? Because what is the one thing that even until this day in 2022, human infrastructure cannot withstand? We even use this expression in the English language, Richard. Human infrastructure cannot withstand acts of God. Zacharias, like our old friend Jonah, didn't want to make this announcement. He wanted to, I don't know, talk about whatever it is people talk about when they're building stuff for Herod. But now he is saying what he's supposed to say, and he is making a special announcement. Someone is coming to herald something of the utmost importance. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. Two things jump out immediately in verse 76 we are once again linked back to the Gospel of Mark. If you remember, in the Gospel of Mark, we begin 
with the storm coming from the wilderness against the city to call back the lost sheep. It's a little bit different in Luke. Luke brought you into the inner workings of the dismantling of Jerusalem. It's very powerful. So you had an inside view of the inner workings of the Dabar deconstructing the temple. But now we're back where we were in Mark. The voice in the wilderness making straight the path. It's the same mechanism, but it's functioning a little bit differently in Luke. And he is the prophet of the Most High, which is definitely a slap in the face to the ruler of the Roman Empire, who is non-functional. Elohim is the reference, not the ruler of the Gentiles, or Herod, the ruler of the sons of Israel in the flesh. The reference is the Most High. When you hear this expression, and in Greek, prophetis ipsistu, it's not just praise. You're not saying it to make God feel good about himself. It's not for God's sake that you would use this expression, or for that matter, for the sake of John the Baptist. It is for our sake that we use this expression to make clear that there is no higher reference. It is the most high. This is the ultimate judge. There is no one above him, and this is his prophet. That is a heck of a thing to say about John the Baptist's function at this point. So while Zacharias is irrelevant, and what he wants to say is irrelevant, now that he has acquiesced and he is saying what he was commanded to say, what he has to say pertains to the most important thing ever said, coming from the most important reference universally in the story of the Bible. So Jerusalem has been leveled already by the words of Gabriel, God's young champion, and the ground has been plowed, so to speak. And now the prophet of the Most High has been heralded to make straight the path of the Lord. It's beautiful. The relationship with Mark chapter 1 is fantastic. We have the prequel to Mark chapter 1. We start off, and John the Baptist is just there in the wilderness. But how did he get there? How was he born? Tell us more about his parents and about his family. And how did this guy come to be this prophet? And now we've got Luke chapter 1, where we have this story all filled in. And the fact that it, as you said, Father, originated with his father and his father being muted, but then being allowed to speak, that's absolutely essential to the story of who John the Baptist is. Here, where we're at in the context of Luke chapter 1, remember, over the last several episodes we've been talking, this has all been the story of the Lord and what the Lord has done, and all about the redemption that he has offered to his people, talking about his child-slash-servant David, talking about the way he visited his people, the 
legacy of the prophets that came before since the world began, about the promise to the fathers, the oath to Abraham, all the way through here so that we might serve him having been delivered. Now that we've covered all of that, let's talk about this here prophet we've got, John, not Zecharias. He will be called John. He's addressed here as Pedion, which is related to Pedon, which is what David is called up higher in the chapter. The job that he has is to be prophet and to go in front of the face, in front of the Lord to prepare his ways. And how does he prepare his ways? What ways are there to prepare? I mean, I thought that the Lord did everything already, like he had the prophets and he had the oath and he delivered his people and all this stuff. What does he need these ways for? Who's going to be walking on these ways? What is it for? Where do these ways go to? I mean, why be on a way if you're not trying to get someplace? Is it a good way? Is it a bad way? Are there different ways, evidently, to get to this place that we need to talk about, I guess? Or at least the Lord needs to talk about? The prophet is here to prepare these ways. The people are going someplace. The people are going someplace. And John is here to prepare these ways to get there. Okay? So the point of the verses ahead of these, the point of the verses ahead of this, we're not to say, we got there. We arrived. We're here now. This was the beginning to say, let's go. Because as Father Paul always says, you know, hit halech, walking around as the shepherd does, is used in the Old Testament specifically around walking in the ways of the Lord. Walking in the ways of the Lord means to be obedient, means to obey. But where are you getting to? The shepherd is getting to the oasis and is taking the sheep to the oasis. He's preparing the way to the oasis. Remember, Father Paul always talks about the shepherd in the Syrian desert going in front of the sheep, right? He's taking the sheep to the place. He's preparing the way so that the sheep can get to the water. Now we have John the Baptist, who's going to be the shepherd in charge of the Lord's flock to get them there. He's here to prepare the way. But how does he prepare the way? As we see in Psalm 118, and we see all over scripture, it's the word of the Lord. The Torah of the Lord is the way, and the Lord is the light of the way, and the Torah is the light on the way. It's all about moving and about getting to where we're going to go. And that's the beauty of, as we saw in Matthew, everything ends up in the kingdom of the heavens. We'll see where it ends up here in Luke. But that is where one is trying to get to, to that kingdom, to that place, not an earthly place, but a heavenly place that is bound to the instruction of the Lord. And John is going to be leading us there. To give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. To dune nosin sotirias. It's a gift. It's the gift of the knowledge of salvation. And it's in the genitive. It's the knowledge of salvation. But I want to be clear. The knowledge of salvation is the knowledge of the content of the instruction. Because the forgiveness of sins is news. This is very difficult 
for modern Christians to internalize because they personalize the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins in Scripture is a declaration. The way to understand the news of the forgiveness of sins in the Gospel of Luke and in the New Testament generally, but certainly here in this text, the king makes a decree of amnesty. As of this day, let it be known in the land that I am giving everyone a free pass. Write it down, post it everywhere. Go out and make sure the people know that I'm giving everyone a clean slate. Everyone who hears these words, the clean slate applies to them. That's the system of the forgiveness of sins in Scripture. John is going out to make sure people get the news that the slate has been cleared. This news is given, as Father Paul loves to say, free of charge with a charge. Okay, the slate is clear. O Theophilus, lovers of God, the slate is clear. You're now welcome in my household, but now there's work to do. There's accountability. It doesn't mean what we make of it in our various traditions where we have these silly theological discussions about works versus grace. And everybody's guilty of those silly discussions because it becomes a debate over which tradition is correct. And you're all wrong. Because Scripture is saying something categorically, fundamentally different than what everyone else is saying. God is buying out everybody's debt so that you can be enslaved to him. And the reason no one is saying that is because it's not a very nice message. It's different than what we preach about the forgiveness of sins. It's like you are in debt to a creditor and suddenly your balance is zero. And you're like, oh, great, my balance is zero. But then there's a follow-up memo that says, your debt was paid out by the mafia. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that their debt was paid out by the mafia. But thankfully, the one who paid out your debt is the merciful God, who is also your judge. Whether or not he's merciful, we'll find out on that day. So you're still held accountable for how you act. You can't make him your teddy bear God, which is what we do when we theologize. And then you see memes on the internet that a loving God would never condemn us to hell. Well, that's the God that you fashioned with your human hands. I'm certain that the God that you fashioned with the human hands inside your mind would never condemn you to hell. That's the beauty of the scriptural God. You can't make him or unmake him. He is what he is. You are stuck with him. So, the knowledge of victory, which is what salvation is, can only come through searching and studying the words that John the Baptist brings, which are words you can't control. Something that we need to keep coming back to, Richard, because people will take this verse and run a three-day retreat, and it will be much ado 
about nothing. This is one of those examples of where you can't take this out of context, because the knowledge of salvation we just got in the first part of this speech, it's the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, the redemption of his people. He just said it. John the Baptist isn't here to make some great revelation. He isn't here to tell us something we didn't know. It's the same old stuff. He's here to repeat old news. It's, you know, all of a sudden my debt is paid. And it's like, oh, well, we've had a policy this whole time that your debt could be paid. If you just were listening at the meeting, you would have known it's already paid. <laughs> That's it. You, all you have to do is listen, and you've got the word. You've got the knowledge of the salvation. It's right there. And John the Baptist is just falling in this line of prophets since the world began that's making the same announcement over and over again. The knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins, that the salvation comes because he remits their sins, because if he takes the debt onto himself, if he owns that debt, I'm not trying to get into some kind of soteriology here, just saying that he takes on that, says, okay, and now I own you, but now I'm the only one who can condemn you. Whatever was out there, whatever the Romans thought, whatever the human judges thought of either the Jews or the Gentiles, whatever, it's not theirs anymore. It's not their word that bears weight that bears any content anymore. This story I was just telling you for five verses about the salvation and redemption of my people through Abraham, my servant David, and the prophets since the world began, that's what we're talking about, the same old story. And the good news is that the remission of your sins now comes as I take you into my household so that you can serve me in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life, as it says in verse 75. And that's it. That's what you need to do. You need to listen to the word. You need to follow in front of his face and do according to the story. Do according to what is being told because he's your judge now. He owns you now, but he is also the one who gives life, not just death. Caesar gives death. He can't give life. But the one who just redeemed his people, he is able to give life and death. That's the key. He bought out your debt, not so that Everything is fine and you can do what you want, which is what I hear people say. I mean, this is the attitude people have. He bought out your debt so that you could be free to do his will, and you will be held to account as to whether or not you did his will. He didn't buy out your debt so that you could do whatever you want and everything's fine through your complex and strange theology of sin and grace which is what you hear on the one hand. On the other hand, he didn't buy out your debt so that you could then persecute yourself solipsistically that you're a sinner and you have to do all these things in order to achieve salvation, which if you've heard Deuteronomy, you know that the outcome of that is death because you're still acting as though he didn't pay off your debt. You're still trying to pay off a debt that he paid off. There's nothing to earn and you're not off the hook. This is how Scripture dynamites human biology. You can't win the lottery, and you can't work your way out of your situation. You can only submit, as we hear in Deuteronomy, or perish. But in submission, you still have work to do, and there's still accountability. There it is, Richard in two verses in the Gospel of Luke. Thanks very much, Dr. Bent. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. 
the Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.